Y'all feel better. Just, just, just singing that, y'all feel better already. You want me to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27? God makes no mistakes, including on timing. Philip was just talking about they put you at a place full of people. They put your family there to witness the people. They put you in a, in a rich ministry field. They put you in a spot to use you. But what's amazing when I'm sitting there listening to you talk about that and I'm thinking about Teresa and Sabrina and the Matheny's and so many of yourselves that are going through so much, thinking about tonight's message. And this is week 75 of the book of Acts. And he landed those conversations to go with tonight's message, man. God is always on time. Anybody say amen? amen. We left off at a really good place last week. That, that's good because I like leaving off at good places. <laughs> but that means we get to pick up at a really good place. We, we left off there in chapter 27, verse number 39. Um, the men there on the ship had eaten some food after 14 days of fasting, 14 days of no food. They've gotten a little bit of energy. The morning has, has come, and now for the first time in two weeks, they can see land. They're, they're looking ahead, and they can actually see real estate. They didn't know where they were, but God did. Man, y'all going to have to wake up and get on board because i got to go a long way in a hurry. There's some stuff. I didn't get to finish all that I was trying to share with you last week. They had no idea where they were. They'd been lost for 14 days in a storm. They'd been lost at sea. It's been dark. They ain't seen no sun, no moon, no stars. They've been in the rain and the wind and the cold. They've been pitched up and down in the ship. They have no idea where they are, but God did. God took them from where they were to, to where they are. When it was day, they knew not the land. Now, here's the reality. They've been this way before. We'll see in a little bit that they know where they are. Once they find out where they are, they know where they, they've been by here before. They've been this way. This isn't some unfamiliar place. But at the time coming out of the storm, right now, they have no idea where they are. They know not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with the shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. So we left off looking at the Greek word used there for creek, what was another word that meant bosom. And then we spend a little time looking at the bosom by how God brought them there in, into the bosom on this island. We look at the fact that, that 14 days ago they lost control of this ship, which means that they lost control of their lives. The storm could, took control of their life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The storm took control of their life. They had no control over the storm. They had no control over where this ship was going. They've had 14 days of storm and 14 days of wind and 14 days of seasick and 14 days of fear, 14 days of terror, 14 days of no food, 14 days of not knowing where they are, 14 days of not knowing if they'll survive. For, for 14 days, they've been in this hopeless situation. And for more than 500 miles, roughly right about 500 miles, it looks like this storm has blown them off course. But in reality, this storm is blowing them into the place that God has appointed. It looks like they've been getting blown out of control for 500 miles. But reality is they've been in the hand of God 
for 500 miles. They've been out of their control, but at no time have they ever been out of God's control. So I didn't get to finish last week, but Lord willing, we're going to get to look at some more of it this evening. Verse number 40, when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, loosed the rudder bands, hoist up the mainsail to the wind, and made towards shore. So once they have pulled up those anchors, they're going to hit land one way or another. The land is there. The wind's blowing into it. So once they pull up the anchors, they are fully committed that we're going to shore. They loosed the rudder bands. Ships were steered in that day with rudders, and they had bands that they could put on the rudders. It would hold it just steady so it wouldn't be flopping around back in the wind. Remember when the storm came, they've let down the sails. They've secured the rudder, and they're just being blown. But now they have a mission in mind. They've seen that this creek, which we know is a bosom, they've seen this safe place. They've seen this spot that if they could just get to that spot, it would change their situation. So they've pulled up the anchors. They've loosened the steering wheel on the ship, and they pull up one of the sails, so they're going to aim for this thing. So, so they say in verse number 41 that, that falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. So they've headed to this safe place. They, they've headed to this spot, and it says that, that the forepart, the front of the ship, stuck fast and remained unmovable. That means that thing, but when it drove up in that sand, it drove up in there hard. It's fixed. The front of that ship is not going to move. It has gone up in, into that creek. It has gone up into that, that bosom, and it has become a stationary spot. But it's, it's just unmovable. It says that the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. Now, I spent a good bit of time looking for that where two seas met. I thought maybe it'd be something different. I was trying to tell them about two seas, but in all honesty, it's just a sandbar. Two seas met in the English language is only one Greek word, and it simply means it's a sandbar. It means that there's water on both sides. We know there's rocks all around. So they pulled up anchors. They freed up the steering wheel. They raised up the sail and bullseye. They've hit this sandbar. You know, once again, we've seen several times, these are some pretty good shipmen. We've seen a lot of things as we've looked at what they've done to keep the ship afloat and unloading stuff off the ship and all the things. These are some pretty experienced sailors. They know what they're doing. And once again, they, they bullseye. They run this thing up on the sandbar. But, but something else that, that, that we need to remember here in the text, this storm ain't over. The storm didn't stop when the ship got on land. This isn't the end of their story. This isn't some bright, sunny day and everything has come to a stop. The typhoon is still blowing. The sea is still nasty. The waves are still crashing. The currents are still the, the, the same. This is still a very scary situation, and now the waves are beating on the back of the ship. Isn't it amazing that the waves for 14 days have had this ship at their mercy? They've been out at sea for 14 days from every angle and all sides. Those same waves have had that ship at their mercy, but not once did the ship begin to come apart. All night long, they're anchored down with the back of it into the waves, and all night long, those waves have beat on the back of that ship and beat on the back of that ship and beat on the back of that ship, but not once did it begin to destroy that ship. But now that they've made it to land, the same waves is destroying the ship. Now that they've run into this bosom, 
Now that they've run up into this safe place, the, the waves begin to tear the ship apart. So, so they pulled up anchors. They made this, it's a little short trip, but obviously a, a rough trip. Something else to remember that we looked at earlier. A Roman soldier is responsible for a prisoner. If a prisoner escapes, the Roman soldier is responsible with his own life. Right? Y'all remember that, right? That ain't new. We don't need to go back a few chapters and look, do we? So, so these Roman soldiers are responsible for the prisoners on board, of which Paul is one. And we know that if these prisoners escape, the guards are going to lose their life. Now, here's something else that I want to share before we move on to, to make sure you remember. <laughs> a dead prisoner is as good as a live prisoner. In, in that day, when a prisoner was signed over to them, they had to deliver a body, dead or alive. If they delivered a dead prisoner, they were free of harm, the same as if they delivered a live prisoner. So they don't have to protect these men. They don't have to keep these men alive. If they want to protect their lives and they want to take it themselves, all they've got to do is deliver some bodies. So it's just as easy for them to kill the prisoners as it is to try to take care of them and make sure that none of them escape. So it says that the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. So they have in a mind. The soldiers have in their mindset, we're going to kill all of the prisoners. That includes the Apostle Paul. It says in verse 43, but the centurion, the captain of the guard, you know, the one in charge, in all honesty, the one that really got him into this mess in the first place, because he's the one that decided to set sail. But, but he, he is the one that's over the prisoners and the guard. And for one purpose and one purpose only, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. They were going to kill the prisoners. The centurion says, nope, I'm going to save them all because of one man. This man, Paul, he kept them from their purpose, commanded that they would, could swim, cast themselves first into the sea, and, and get to land. So for the sake of the apostle Paul, this is what the centurion said, my life for yours. My life for yours. He said to all the guards, my life for yours. Don't kill the prisoners. If one of them escapes, I'll die for you. Because of the Apostle Paul, because of the difference one man has made on his life, he, he says, I take full responsibility for all of them. Question, anybody ever feel like the storm just keeps coming? I mean, like you can't even go on vacation and a tornado don't track you down. Like everywhere we go, they come, and it just keeps on coming. And you can't even handle one thing before another thing shows up. And while you're trying to take care of one, another shows up. And while you take care of one, and, and you got three things going on at one time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like it just keeps on coming. What we'll look here at the story. We know they never should have set sail in the first place, but they were deceived by the soft winds. So, so they, they set out to do something that seemed safe and easy, but in just a matter of minutes, everything changed. They went from being in complete control of their situation to having no control over their situation. Anybody know where I'm at? Anybody know what I'm talking about in life? One minute everything's fine, and the next minute it, it's like hell showed up at your doorstep. 
They had complete control of their situation. A few minutes later, they have no control over their situation. And here's the deal. It was one bad choice by somebody else. The centurion's the one that made the choice. The centurion and the captain's the one that got together. So you've got 274 people that are in a bad situation because of a choice somebody else made. Now you've got 276 people in a bad situation, but two of them brought it upon themselves because two of them didn't listen to the man of God. So the storm takes control of the ship, blows them out to sea. They're lost at sea. They had to throw all the stuff overboard. Remember, the ships tackled everything, food, all. They had to throw all the stuff so there's no profit left. They're tossed around like a little toy boat out in the ocean. They've been seasick. They can't eat for 14 days. they got all this going on. There's been no sun, no moon, no stars, nothing but dark, nothing but gloomy. Somebody's going to understand what I'm talking about. It doesn't look like the sun's ever shining. Everything you look around is dark. At no point have they seen a break in the clouds. At no point did they look up and see a star-filled night. Everything has been dark for 14 days, but the number 14 is the number of what? I don't have time to wait. I'll go and help you. It's deliverance. We shared that last week. The number 14 is always deliverance in the Word of God. So they've been out there for 14 days, and because they have no control of the, over the ship, no matter where they are, no matter what that island is, even if it has a great harbor, it ain't going to do them any good because they have no control over the ship. So this ship is destined to crash. Regardless of what's in front of them, regardless of what the land looks like, this ship is going to crash. So, so they're still in a storm. The fear just changes. For 14 days, they've had a fear of being drowned out in the open sea. Now their fear is just as fearful. It just changed. Now it's like we're going to run aground, the ship's going to get destroyed, and we're going to get broken to pieces with it. So, so God shows them this place where they can come ashore. It's called the creek, but it's called the bosom. Fear is still fear, right? Worry is still worry. Sick is still sick. Problems are still problems. So, so it may change, but it's still a problem. So here they, they're fearfully headed towards this land and, and bullseye. They, they hit the sandbar, but the fear is not over. It just changes. The fear was being drowned. Now the fear is, is being torn apart. Now all of a sudden they've got the thing on dry land. And now, now they, they, they've got to have a fear of the ship being torn apart. The waves are tearing the back of it apart. And, and here comes their problem. They have got to, anybody listening? They've got to jump into the storm. They've got to jump into the same water they've been trying to stay out of for 14 days. They've got to jump into the same waves. They've got to jump into the same problem. They've got to jump into the same trial that they've been trying to stay out of. So they got to the place where God has brought them, and now they've got to jump into the water. This isn't like laying out at the beach. This isn't a bright, sunny day for them. They didn't finally arrive at Destin to get to go out and enjoy the beach. They are still in the storm. And it's like one thing after another. They get over one thing and something else comes. And, and here they are. Anybody feel their pain? And, and, and it just keeps coming. But here's the deal. The life, the, the character, the, the, way he, the way he carried himself. The conduct of one man's life, Paul, during the storm, changed the centurion. Everything about the centurion has been changed because he's watched the apostle Paul 
in the storm. Somebody's going to get something before this night's over. Paul's attitude in the storm changed the people around him. He's in the same storm they're in. They understand their fears. They understand their worries. They understand their anxiety. There it is, Tim. Why don't you have those fears? Why do you have joy? Why aren't you upset? They don't understand it because they can't see Christ. Those other people on the ship, they're in the same storm. They're scared to death. The centurion has to be worried. All of his soldiers are there. He's got the prisoners. He himself might even die. But yet he looks at Paul, and what Paul is doing is praying for everybody else. Paul is praying for the other prisoners. Paul is praying for those on the ship to be safe. So because of Paul's life during the storm, the centurion's life right here is completely changed. No matter what you're going through in your life, every storm is an opportunity for somebody else to see Christ in you. Do I need to say that again? No matter what you're going through, Every storm is an opportunity for someone else to see Christ in you. All right, that's a good. I need to go back and write that down as a quote. The centurion, he makes the command, don't, don't, don't harm any of the prisoners. I, I'll be responsible for the prisoners. I'll be responsible for, for you guards. If you can swim, swim. If you can swim, Jump in, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship in verse number 44. So it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Now, with the ship being torn apart, there's plenty of driftwood lying around, right? The ship's coming apart board by board, so there's a lot of stuff to grab a hold to. But, but everyone went into the water. Whether they could swim or not, everyone had to go into the waves. Everyone had to jump into the violence. Everyone had to jump into the storm, into this situation. And when they were escaped, then they knew the island was called Melita. That word escape there in chapter 28, verse 1, comes from the Greek word that means safe. When, when, they, when they had made it to a safer place than where they were, 14 days of being lost at sea, Finally, their feet is on the ground. Remember, the storm hasn't stopped, but their situation has changed. I, I got to feel like you're feeling a little bit better just to have your feet on dry land. Anybody ever got off a ship and you've been on it for a few days and your legs like that? They've been on a toss ship for 14 days. They can probably barely walk, but they probably ain't walking anyway. They probably hugging the ground, right? They, they probably kissing some sand. Just thankful to be all off of that boat. But, but the storm is still going on. And, and here they find out that they are on the island of Melita. Oh, that's where we are. Oh, I know Melita. All the sailors knew Melita. All the sailors knew this island. This is a big island with a big port. There's a port over on the other side of the island called Valletta. So they know all about Valletta. They know all about this island. They know all about the port. What they don't know anything about is this side of the island because this side of the island isn't favorable to ships. The ships go over here on the deep side where the port's put in. They don't know anything about this rocky side because this is the dangerous side. But what they didn't know on the dangerous side is, is that there was a safe place over there for them. So they get on there and they find out that, that they are at, that they're on, on the island of Melita. Now remember last week we, we talked about briefly how sometimes God shows you something and you're all excited and you try to share it with somebody else and you know they just ain't getting it. 
You know what I'm talking about? And they do the same to you sometimes. I want to show you. I want to show you. And, and it was like a revelation to them. And either you've seen it before or either you're just not getting it. You know, and you want to get it. You really do, but you just don't. And that's what I was trying to share last week, what I had, had seen that God let me see this bosom, this place. For 14 days, God's been bringing them to somewhere. There hadn't just been a storm. God's been doing something. God's been bringing them somewhere to this place called the bosom. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have time to finish it. So Paul Harvey would say the rest of the story. Page two. I didn't get to finish it last week. I kind of left you hanging there with that bosom. I want to give you the rest of the story. So here it is. 14 days of no control over their situation, but God is in complete control, and, and he brings them. Y'all remember, we came to the creek, right? We came to the creek, and it was called what? It was the bosom. Now, they've come to this island. They find out that the ship has crashed into this place called Melita. The, this place called Melita, the, the, the name means the refuge. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. There ain't nobody but God pulls this kind of stuff off. Melita, which is also called Malta, same island, is inhabited mostly by the Phoenician settlers, which means the, the, the language dialect there is a Phoenician dialect. The Phoenician sailors are the one who named this island, and they named it Melita, which in their language means the place of refuge. The name of this island is a shelter. The name of this island is a place of protection. This is a refuge. God took control of that ship in, in 14 days ago in a typhoon, and he did. There's a reason it ain't 13 days or 15 days. Because 14 is deliverance. God brings them across for 14 days, not into the harbor, but he brings them to the island of refuge, to this place called the bosom on that island, on, on the backside of the island. But God's not through. In the bosom of God, there is protection, but there's also provision. Man, somebody needs to get something out of this before we get done. God's bosom and God's refuge, there is protection. This is during the storm. Remember, the storm ain't over. There is protection during the storm, and there is provision during the storm. God's got some people over there that come running to the rescue. These people come running out and, and start building a fire. They're, they're prepared to take care of them. It says in verse 2, the, 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 the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. It means they were extremely good to us. And they, they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. What, what kind of people does it say they are? What does it say? Barbarous people. Why would they call them that? Who wrote that? Luke wrote that. That means that's what Luke thinks about these people. See, the, the, the reality is the, the reason these people are called barbarous people is because they're not Greek. They're, they're Phoenician descent. They're not Greek. So, so they're, they're kind of like the Samaritans. Remember how the Jews looked at the Samaritans? They're just dogs. They're just trash. But Jesus loved the Samaritan, Right? Jesus went out of his way to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So, so they're looking at, the, these, these are a barbarous people. They, they look down on these people and they have this name simply because they're, they're not Greek. Yet these are the people that God himself appointed to take care of them during the storm at the refuge. See how God can use anybody to take care of you? 
God can use anybody, even somebody you look down on, as if we had a right to look down on anybody. But, but, but that, that's what you see. So, so you have these people that are, that are appointed. I wonder this. I wonder this, and I'll move on. I, got, I really want to get a little bit further along, but I wonder if the shoe was on the other foot, what they would have done for those people. See, God can put somebody in, in our pride and our arrogance and our foolishness in the middle of our storm. God can put somebody that we, for whatever reason, thought we had a right to look down on, put them there to take care of us, but we wouldn't take care of them. Oh, I ain't going to meddling now. I don't know. That's just a little side note. Maybe I need to go back and preach that on a Sunday morning when we get everybody involved. I just wonder if the shoe was on the other foot. Would they have taken care of the barbarous people? So, so here they are. They're, it's still storming. The, the storm's not over. It's still windy. It's still cold. You see it. It's still raining. You got all of it going on. And these people come put themselves out to take care of, of somebody else. Now, I understand. I understand we're, 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 this is repetitive. I, I, I get it. But I just I want to make sure that we don't miss what God's doing right here. Fourteen days ago, God allowed a storm. It looked like the storm was unexpected because it came out of the soft winds. And they weren't expecting it, but it wasn't unexpected to God. It looked like the storm caught them off guard. And it may well have caught them off guard, but it didn't catch God off guard. God told Paul to tell them to stay put. God knew what was out there. And when they decided, well, we're not going to listen to your God, we're going to go ahead and set sail, God says, okay, I got something else in mind. So God uses this storm to deliver Paul and company to a place of refuge where there is another people who need to hear the gospel. Y'all with me? 14 days was not for nothing. It is to bring them to this place where there is a people, even in the darkest Part of the storm, God had every detail worked out. At no point did anything ever get out of God's control. It's the storm that brought them to the place of refuge and crashed them right up into the bosom. Now, Paul could have said right here, man, am I glad to be on land? Man, I'm wow." out. 14 days of fasting and all this praying and all this worrying. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm just going to sit back, and I'm going to let these people take care of me. But remember what we looked at last week? We're supposed to do what we can do and leave the rest up to God. The things, the natural things, the things that we can take care of, is up to us to do the natural, to do our part, and leave the supernatural things up to God. Paul says, I can gather wood. I know these people are wet. I know they're cold, but I'm fine. I'm physically good. God's got me here. I, I can get some wood. So when he had gathered a bundle of sticks in verse number three and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Viper is used there for a reason. It describes a highly venomous snake. The word serpent is used in the word of God 40 times. All it means is a snake. It doesn't have to be poisonous. The number 40, by the way, is trials and testings. And it talks about a serpent 40 times in the Word of God. But when you use the word viper, which is only used four times, which represents the things of the world, it's talking about a highly venomous snake. So, so you have the, this viper. Isaiah chapter 30, it, it talks about the land of trouble and anguish from whence come the young and the old lion. It says the viper and the fiery 
flying serpent. So you find both of them right there. Both of those are, are venomous snakes. So th- there's a reason that Luke does not use the word serpent. He's pointing out the fact that this is a deadly poisonous snake, not just a serpent. Now, Luke is, what's his job? I caught you off guard with a question that he's a physician. Pretty sure he's probably dealt with a snake bite before, wouldn't you think? Pretty sure he's seen some snake bites. He knows a little bit about some snakes. And Luke says this is a highly poisonous snake. So remember, we just looked at a minute ago. The trials just keep coming, right? You look at all the trials they've been through from the sea to we're going to crash, to crash in land, to got to jump in the water, to find a way to land. And, and now you got to throw in a, a snake bite. Paul tried to tell them not to sail in, in the first place and because of somebody else's, somebody else's decision, a choice that somebody else made. Paul has had to be involved in the shipwreck. 14 days of, of darkness brought in here, 14 days of all that they've been through to get to here. And now to throw in another one, he gets bit by a poisonous snake. But even in the snake bite, you look at it. It's purposed by God to reach the people. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. Now look, I got a pretty good idea the people living on this island know what kind of snake that is. Right? I got a pretty good idea they've seen somebody get bit by that snake before the way it describes it. And they know it ain't going to be long. He's going to get into throwing up. He's going to get into swelling up, and it ain't going to be long. This man's going to be dead. No doubt he's a murderer whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. See, this is a very paganistic people. God has brought Paul here for a reason. It looks like they're taking care of Paul, and they are. But in reality, God is taking care of them. See, they have all kinds of false gods. They have all kinds of idols. In Greek mythology, Zeus was the god of the earth. Then, then you had Hades is, is the god of the underworld. But then you had Poseidon or Neptune. They're the gods of the sea. And what they said is, is hey, this man escaped Poseidon. He slithered. He, he withered his way out. And he got away from, from Neptune, but Nemesis is going to get him. Ne- Nemesis was another one of their gods. That, that's the goddess of revenge. And what they said was he might have escaped the sea. He might have got out because of everybody else. But, but poetic justice is still going to have its way. So they watched. They're looking. They're, they're watching. They're waiting on the swelling. They're waiting on it to be overcome. What did, what did God tell Paul he's going to do? Huh? Preach it wrong. You know what this shows me? No snake, no storm, no power, no waves, no rocks, nothing on earth, nothing under earth is going to stop what God has purposed. Not in his life, not in yours. No storm can change it. No storm can take it away. Nothing can stop what God has purposed in our lives. So he shook off the beast into the fire, and he felt no harm. Howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or, or fallen down dead suddenly. So we see this is a bad snake. This is a bad dude. They're, they're expecting him to just fall down dead. But after they looked a great while and saw no harm, they changed their minds. Now they've decided he's a god. See, 
personal observation, and and we're going to have to be done. We've looked a lot of times at the simple fact that every person, not just in the Bible, in every person born, there is a void. In every person born, there is a void. And that void cannot be filled by anything but a relationship with God. That's what died in the garden. That's what must be refilled. And the only way it can be redone in the New Testament is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So in everybody, there's a void. Throughout the word of God, you see people looking for it. In Athens, they had a God. They had more God than you could shake a stick at. They had a God for everything. They had a God for toenails, a God to make make your ear feel better, a God to make your hair grow. In Athens, they had gods everywhere. They had so many. Y'all remember what Paul addressed the one? They had a statue to the unknown God. Hey, here's one. We don't even know what he might do. Let's just put one out there and call him the unknown God. Paul said, that's the one I want to talk to you about. He's not unknown. He's just unknown to you. He doesn't want to be unknown. He wants to make himself available to you. He doesn't want to be the unknown God. He wants to be your God, your friend, your caretaker, your provider, your Lord, your Savior. He wants to be that for you. Let me tell you about him because he's not unknown. But but in this world all throughout, you, you see the people searching. It's not that these people right here don't believe in God. They got all kinds of gods. They're looking for all kinds of gods. They got all kinds of names. What they're looking for is one true God. So here's Paul. You can pass this along to Tim. He's going to need it because all y'all been through to land right up there to get the witness of those people. Paul, on his way to Rome, has to get caught in a riot mob in Jerusalem. Beat up and almost killed. Then he has to be rescued by Lysias, a Roman guard. Then a couple of Roman governors have to come along and keep him in Caesarea in prison for more than two years, not to be a prisoner, to be protected. The Jews would have killed him. So on his way to Rome, he has to go through all of these things, and he's got these, these two, the Romans. Then, then he gets into this storm. He got 14 days of the storm. It delivers him to Melita, uh, and, and the whole thing, uh, he should have been killed there, right? All the prisoners are going to be killed. So God brings in a, another guard, the centurion, to save him. And, and then he, he goes through the shipwreck, and, and then he goes through the snake bite, but the snake bite was purposed to get their attention. See, up until now, the people are doing something for Paul. Up until now, it is the people who are the heroes. They're the ones that's rescuing him from the shipwreck. They're the ones that built the fire. They're the ones that's drying out their clothes. They're the ones that's giving the warmth. God had to turn the tables. See, God used them to take care of Paul and all the other people, but God is no man's debtor. God has sent Paul here to bring the gospel, to to reach another people on his way to Rome. Now, if we wanted to go to Rome, what are we going to do? Get on a plane. Preferably nonstop. I don't care nothing about going anywhere else on the way. I don't care about my luggage missing the transfer. So I'm probably going to get on a nonstop, take a long flight, carry a pillow, nap along the way, carry some books and read. That's the way I want to get to Rome. That's not God's plan. You see, all Paul had to get through is not that he's not going through Rome. He's just having to go through a lot to get to where he's going. But every single step of the problem, all of the troubles, everything that's there, is God-ordained's path. And all throughout it, there are a history of saved people left behind him that may have never heard the gospel had had God not sent Paul that way. Paul, I got to go. 
Paul, 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 Paul is what God intends for a man to be. Paul is living the life that God intends for you and I to live. He's filled with God. He's led by God. And he's used for God. That's what you see in Paul. And even in this storm, God used him to reach the centurion. Even through the snake bite, God's fixing to use him to reach a people and, and introduce them to God so that souls could be saved. In everything that looked bad, God meant something for good. Our lives are no different. God is no respecter of persons. If God allows anything, it has a purpose. And God will use it. And sometimes it is on the darkest days and the darkest storms that we ever walk through where people see Christ in us the most. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for this, this book. God, Lord, I hate even getting started and having to stop each time, God. There's just so much good stuff. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for showing us, God, that the storms of life don't catch you by surprise, that they, they don't catch you off guard. If they're allowed in our life, they're allowed for a purpose. You have complete control over everything, God. No storm is too strong. No, no night is too dark. No situation is too hard. No wave is too big. No ocean is too strong. God, there's absolutely nothing that can happen that you don't have in your complete control. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. God, that even in the storms of life, you're looking to do something in us and something through us so that others might be reached with the gospel so that you might turn around and pour blessings onto us. God, you're such a good God. Thank you so much for loving us the way you do. Help us, Father, to be pleasing to you. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.